As we come to John chapter 11, we come to the final of the seven miracles uh, that are recorded in the gospel according to John. We remember that when the Holy Spirit put together the gospel according to John through the apostle, that he built this uh, gospel unique from all of the other gospels, which are pretty much a chronology of Jesus' life and ministry. This gospel is built around seven miracles of Jesus and seven I am statements of Jesus. And, and the record of all of these things is intended that by the time a person comes to the end of reading the gospel, they will recognize Jesus for who he is and then put our, our faith in him personally uh, for uh, salvation. And so here in chapter 11, we come to that seventh and final uh, miracle. Now, a certain man was sick. And his name was Lazarus. He was of the city of Bethany. Bethany, as we'll see later in the, the narrative here, is a city that's just two miles uh, outside of Jerusalem to the eastern side of the city uh, of Jerusalem, an easy walk between Bethany uh, and Jerusalem. And, uh, and being the brother of Mary uh, and her sister Martha. The three of them are brothers and sisters. They are uh, uh, very much beloved by Jesus, as we'll see. They hosted him in their home uh, regularly. And it was that Mary uh, of the two sisters, Mary and Martha, it was that Mary who uh, anointed the, the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, uh, he who you love is sick. Now the word that is used here in the original language for sick means something more than a cold, something more than the flu, as serious as a flu can be uh, for some people. But it talks about being very, very sick, being uh, debilitatingly uh, sick. And so this is someone who is, whose life is in danger as a result of the sickness. This is the message that they deliver to Jesus related to, uh, to Lazarus. And the message, Lord, behold, he, uh, he whom you love, speaking of Lazarus, is uh, sick. Now, it's very interesting to see uh, that in verse 3, in, in the same verse, uh, this combination of someone being loved by Jesus and very loved by Jesus, and at the same time, uh, sick. So there's a doctrine today, prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, um, that uh, tells us that if we have enough faith, we'll um, always have a, a satisfactory and more wealth, and uh, that we will never, ever get sick. And yet here you see uh, someone that Jesus loves, and he is sick. And I, I've spoken about it before, but... I remember when I was a brand new Christian and, um, and early in my Christian life, and there was a gentleman who was on television at that time who was very much this positive confession that if you love God enough and you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. And, um, and this gentleman taught on TV, what a gift. What a gift for communicating truth. Unfortunately, he gravitated to... Uh, to this kind of thing. Unfortunately for him that morning, his arm was in a sling. Uh, he had undergone a surgery. And so now how does he break to the congregation that if you have enough faith, you will, um, 
you always receive the healing that you need from God when it's quite evident that he received the surgery. So he explained to the congregation that he didn't have a surgery on any particular need in his shoulder, but upon the symptoms of his need. Now, I know that congregation loved that pastor, but when they panned that congregation, nobody was buying that in the room. They're just saying, we love our pastor, but there's no way he can expect us to believe this. The fact of the matter is, is that most Christians will die and go to heaven by way of the thing that we get sick last of in life and that takes us into heaven. And so no one should ever doubt the love of God for us uh, when we find ourselves dealing with the consequences of the fall in this life, in, including uh, sickness. So they let him know, didn't name his name, it was enough, he, they would know, you love Lazarus, and he is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said to the disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified uh, through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he uh, was. Now that's a very interesting uh, response that uh, Jesus makes to this message that is given to him by uh, Martha and by Mary. Of course, Martha and Mary assumed that the moment he heard this message about Lazarus's illness, that he would come immediately, uh, the 20 miles from where he is located at this time, to Bethany to then heal Lazarus. That that was their expectation uh, it is clear later in the passage when each of them says to him, when he does finally arrive, uh, if you had only been here, uh, then, uh, then my brother would not have died. So they didn't say to Jesus, he's very, very sick and you need to come immediately. They assumed of the heart of Jesus that he would come immediately and instead were told uh, that he waited two more days uh, before he uh, did come. A very, very curious response on the part of Jesus, but he knows something that no one else knows, uh, something that the disciples didn't know, something that the messengers from Martha and Mary uh, didn't know at all, and that is in the time that it had taken the messengers to journey the 20 miles from Bethany to Jesus, that Lazarus had died. And we know that because when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, we're told that uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days and it would have taken the messengers one day to get to him. He delayed two days. It would have taken him and the disciples a day to walk to Bethany for a total of four days. And Lazarus uh, almost certainly died immediately after the sisters had dispatched uh, the messengers. And so uh, he uh, waited. And after uh, that time of waiting, then he uh, progressed and made his way to Bethany. Whenever the Lord waits to do something that we look at and say, this is so obvious, Lord, what you need to do here. There cannot be 
a higher or better answer to my plea to you than uh, the the answer to the prayer that I am offering to you, that you come immediately and take care of this. And when the Lord delays, he only delays in our life because of his love, because he has something even better in mind. And he has something much better in mind related to Lazarus here. But it's a truth concerning all of us. So often when God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want it, in the timing that we want it, we can begin to doubt his love or doubt his wisdom. It always means he has something better in mind than what I'm uh, thinking could be the, own, the, the very best uh, answer to uh, my prayer and to my immediate need. And so after two days of waiting, Jesus informs the disciples that they need to return uh, to Bethany, which again in the area of Jerusalem. And so in verse 7, he said to them, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples uh, are troubled by this. And they said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you in Judea, the area of Jerusalem. And, uh, and are you going there again? So Uh, they want to make sure that Jesus is making an informed decision. I know you and I in prayer, we have never informed Jesus uh, of the circumstances and why this might not be the best course of action for uh, him to take. And they're concerned for Jesus, but they're concerned for their own welfare. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, he declares himself to be the Son of God, to be uh, uh, divine. They pick up stones. They want to stone him. So they say, we're going to go back to where this is the attitude of uh, the powers that be, the Jewish religious uh, leaders, and recognizing that not only would Jesus' life be in danger in their own mind, uh, but that that would put them as his disciples Uh, in danger as well. And so they want to make sure that uh, he's thinking this through clearly. And Jesus responded to them, are there not 12 hours uh, in uh, the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light uh, of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not uh, in him. And so uh, Jesus, and this is very, very important to understand in this, the context that we find ourselves in uh, here and the disciples found themselves in as Jesus gave them instruction on uh, the perspective that they need to have about their life, about their longevity, about their physical safety in a world that is very, very dangerous and uh, very, very fallen in order that they would not continue in the mode that they are currently in. And that is falling into the mode where all of my decision-making is determined on the basis uh, of uh, fear. And fear becomes the dominant influence within my life. And that's where they are right here. And Jesus corrects it with this kind of uh, saying that he gives to them uh, here. Jesus here likens uh, God the Father's will to walking in the light. And in essence, he is declaring that neither he, that is Jesus himself, nor uh, the disciples are in any danger of dying prior to the Father's timing, uh, as they just simply walk in the Father's uh, will. The Jews divided the day 
into 12 uh, hours, in two 12-hour blocks from 6 in the morning until 6 at night. That was considered the day. In other words, the length of a day is set. In the Jewish mind, it was set. 6 in the morning until 6 in the evening, and no man can cut a day short. And Jesus is saying, what is true of a day is also true about his own life and true about our lives as well. His life would not be taken until, like a day, uh, it had run its course. And a day, of course, was the time for uh, accomplishing work, accomplishing the Father's will. And the point that Jesus is making is that as he walked in obedience to the will of the Father, he was in no danger of being hurt or killed before his appointed time. And that neither were the, da- uh, the disciples in any kind of danger uh, at all. This teaches us something else that's very, very important because the Bible teaches about um, the bondage of the fear of death that marks a human life uh, prior to coming to know the Lord who has victory uh, over, uh, over death. And you th- look at the world that we live in and how much money is spent on security, on longevity, all of these kind of things. And Jesus here reveals to us the safest place in the world. And he declares that physical safety isn't found in living in some geographical location, uh, but the safest place a person can be in in this world is to be living right in the middle of God's will for our lives. You say, what is the safest place that I can be in the danger of this world? And the safest place any Christian can be is right in the middle of God's will for our lives, whatever the circumstances around us physically uh, might be. And then Jesus goes on in verse 11, and he said to them, after that, uh, and, and, he, uh, and these things he said, after, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awaken him. And, and so they think that he's sick, he he's, has an illness, but he is now sleeping in order to get better. So they're confused by his statement. So in verse 12, the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get well. Well, you know anybody that's sick, especially if they're very sick, when they're sleeping, that's a time where their body is healing. You never go in and wake up somebody that is sleeping as a part of their healing processes, unless you're a nurse. And they've got to give medications, take blood pressure, all those kind of things that, that go on out of, out of necessity. But it's always a good sign. In our homes, we don't wake up people that are sleeping as a part of their recovery. So they say, why in the world would we go? If he's sleeping, he's getting better. Why would we then go over there and wake him up from that that uh, glorious condition in, in, in getting better. And uh, Jesus, however, he spoke of uh, Lazarus's death, but they thought he was speaking uh, about taking rest in spirit. And Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, there's some people who um, they get poetic language, they get analogies, uh, they get figurative speech, 
the disciples weren't very good at this. And so while other people might have picked things up related to this, they needed to be told things in black and white. And so he said, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go uh, to him. And so uh, Jesus makes it clear to them, and uh, they're afraid of death. And, uh, and, and Jesus says, let's, you're with the one who has authority over death. Now let, let's go. And what is going to happen here is going to increase your, your faith. And, uh, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, uh, that you may see the greater miracle that I'm going to do and believe and your faith be strengthened. Let's go to him. And then Thomas, who is also known as the doubter, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So they're not quite getting what Jesus is saying here. Now you've got to commend uh, Thomas for being willing to die with Jesus. Uh, but, but his faith is very, very below uh, what it ought, ought to have been. But he says to the guys, let's go. We all know we go over near Jerusalem. They're going to stone Jesus to death. They'll stone us to death. But this, if this is what he wants to do, let's go die with him. And you think about the patience that the Lord had with Thomas and the patience that he has with us as well as he nurtures our faith. Thomas simply confirms in verse 16 uh, how necessary it was for him uh, to go to Bethany, see the miracle that was going to happen, so we, he would have a higher view of Jesus and Jesus' uh, ability. He made the case for it. And so this is this great statement of faith that was made uh, by, uh, by Thomas. And so when Jesus came to Bethany, and he's at the outskirts of the city, he doesn't come all the way in initially, as we'll see, he came, he found uh, that he, that is Lazarus, had not on, or, uh, only died and been dead for four days, but that he had been in uh, the tomb for four days. The Jews in the ancient world, and even yet today in the land of Israel, they bury the dead on the day a person dies. So it uh, doesn't matter if you're at work, doesn't matter what it is, the family drops everything, the friends drop everything, uh, the service occurs that day, and the body is put into the tomb. Not the embalming that we do and all the things that we do here um, in, in the United States of America. So he's been dead for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had uh, joined the women uh, around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brothers. So Martha and Mary are in the fourth day of their mourning of their brother, very close family. As you read about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in the Scriptures, a very, very close uh, brothers and sisters. And so uh, a, great, a great loss for them, and they're being comforted by those that love them in Bethany. And then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, uh, she went and uh, met him, but Mary uh, remained sitting in the house, unaware that Jesus had, uh, had come herself. 
Now Martha, remember, Martha's the busier of the two, and, uh, and she's a woman of action, and so she put, uh, goes to work right away. And she came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have uh, died. I just know that if you had just gotten here before uh, he died, that you would have kept him from dying. So she knows and she has faith that Jesus can heal uh, anyone of any disease or any sickness um, as long as he gets to them before they die. Uh, but now she sees the fact that he, he hasn't arrived before his death, that now his case is hopeless. Jesus' uh, real work is just beginning at that particular point, but she doesn't quite understand that uh, yet. And Jesus, and, uh, but now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And so she, Jesus informed Martha that uh, concerning what he and uh, his father uh, were about to do here concerning her brother, he's going to be uh, rise again. Martha doesn't realize that Jesus is talking on the short term and the immediate term. She thinks he's speaking theologically. The Jews taught both then and, and today on the basis of the Old Testament that uh, when Messiah can't, comes, there will be a resurrection of the dead, the wicked unto judgment being resurrected unto judgment, the righteous being resurrected unto uh, reward and everlasting life. And so she says, I know that he's going to rise again uh, in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking he's talking about uh, that, that, that last day. Jesus then says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe uh, this? And so Jesus declares to her and, uh, 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 that he is the resurrection and the life. And uh, his declaration of himself as the resurrection and the life, he's communicating to her, I have complete authority, not only over sickness, but over death and over resurrection. And you notice he doesn't say that, uh, he doesn't declare, I know the way to uh, everlasting life, or I know the secret of everlasting life. I point the way to everlasting life, or even that he performs resurrections. He declares that everlasting life and victory over death are found in him personally, and they are accessed and made a part of our life through a personal relationship uh, with him. And so this, uh, what this truth means for those who believe in him, for us as Christians, you notice in verse 25, uh, end of verse 25, he who believes in me, Though he may die, he shall live. And uh, Jesus here is specifically speaking to Martha's situation. From verse 40, we realize that he's making a specific promise to raise her brother Lazarus from the dead. When he goes on into verse 26, and he declares, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And here he's making a promise to every single Christian down through the ages, including every single one of us in this room this evening. And so we look at it and we see the test. Okay, 
uh, how many of you are alive here tonight? Just that, well, let's, let's do it this way. If you're not alive, would you raise your hand? Okay, for the recording, there are no hands raised uh, in the room. Though I'm a little unsure about a couple that I see here in, in, the, in the room. So whoever lives, that, uh, that's us. And whoever also then believes in him that we shall never, ever die. And we will never cease to exist for a moment as Christians. The moment we lay down this physical tent, we will receive a body that is made for eternity. Our corruption will put on incorruption. Our mortal will put on immortality. And we will be in the glory of heaven as the Bible uh, teaches. And Jesus wants us to be very, very sure of this, and, and the reason he wants us to be sure of this uh, concerning our own lives is because he is unique as a Savior, because he is our Savior, and he is the resurrection and the life. When he poses the question to her, do you believe this, she responds in faith, and she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, also the Son of God, I believe you're divine, who has come uh, into the world. And so she makes this uh, beautiful affirmation of, of who and what he is. Now, it is uh, often uh, uh, noticed and observed related to this passage, and it's important to observe it any time we go through the passage, is that if you are not the resurrection and the life, and you are merely saying that you're the resurrection and the life, the last place you want to declare yourself to be the resurrection and the life is in a graveyard. I mean, you can make that claim in a maternity ward when here you're dealing with little tiny babies who have all of their life in front of them. You can make that statement at a halftime speech before a football uh, team that is in the prime of their health and their f prime of their strength and nobody's going to challenge you related to that. But here when you make that claim about being the resurrection and the life and you're in a graveyard, it's a dangerous place to make that claim if it isn't true because someone might say, uh, put up or shut up on this. Prove it to us. Jesus doesn't wait for that kind of a challenge in his life. He just proceeds uh, and, and on further to raise Lazarus from the dead as an evidence of his claim concerning himself. And when he, that she, that is Martha, had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling uh, for you. And so as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to Jesus. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. That's where they assumed that she was, uh, that she was headed. They didn't know that Jesus was in the outskirts of town. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. And again, this is the same Mary that every time we see her in the scriptures, she is always at the feet of Jesus. Mary, the sister uh, of Lazarus. And she said to him the same thing her sister did, uh, and they didn't rehearse this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They probably said it to one another for the four days. 
oh boy, if Jesus had only gotten here uh, in time, uh, then Lazarus wouldn't have uh, died. But now uh, it's too late. He is he has already died. And then, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said to them, uh, where have you, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And so they take him to the tomb, and then we have the shortest verse in the English Bible, uh, made up of two verses, Jesus uh, wept. He's here at the site, the cave, with a stone rolled across the front of it. That was kind of a, a poor man's uh, grave in those days, lots of caves in Israel, and uh, an, an easy place to bury uh, the dead and to bury your loved ones. And so uh, Jesus comes to this place, this place where people have been buried, Lazarus has been buried uh, there. Everybody is weeping. As Jesus sees all of the weeping, he is uh, he groans in his spirit over it, and not only does he groan internally, but he begins to weep. And the word that's used for weep here in the scriptures is that a tears just began to silently fall down from his eyes. If you had not looked at his face, you would have never known that he was crying. He just silently wept in the midst of that scene. So we ask ourselves, why was he weeping? Was he weeping over uh, the death of Lazarus? No, because he knows he's going to raise Lazarus in just a minute or two. What he's weeping about is that death is even a part of the human condition. He realized that when God created man, put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that man was created and never intended to experience death. But the death was brought into the human condition by virtue of sin. And when he sees these men and women that he has created uh, here weeping and mourning, he realizes they are feeling an emotion that they have never been intended to ever experience in their life. And because we have never been intended to and created to experience the emotion and the sense of loss and the death of a loved one because we were created never to do that, we do not have the software. We do not have the capacity to process it properly. And Jesus sees the impact that this thing called death was having upon all of these people that he loved and he wept over that truth over, the, over uh, the terrible consequences of sin brought into the human condition because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And then Jesus spoke and he said, and, or the Jews said, see how he loved him. And so the Jews that noticed that he was crying, noticed that he was grieved, they start to take kind of pot shots at, uh, at why it is that he's crying. And, uh, and so some of them said, ah, it's a, look at how Jesus loved Lazarus. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind uh, have also kept this man uh, from dying? And then uh, Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. 
and Martha. You got to love her. She is always who she is. And, uh, and Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. I think it's in the old King James. By this time he stinketh. And uh, I've, I've never uh, smelt a body that's been dead for four days without refrigeration or uh, those kind of, uh, of things, uh, but I'll take her word for it. And uh, for he has been dead for four days. And then Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God, that this death has occurred uh, and, and that my intent and the Father's intent is that death will not be the final say, this death, in Lazarus's life, but that we have something even greater in mind, and that is his resurrection, the glory of God revealed in Lazarus's resurrection. And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that... Uh, you have heard me, and he's speaking this prayer out loud, and I know that you always uh, hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So before he performs the miracle, he prays to the Father so that everyone who witnesses the resurrection of Lazarus Lazarus will recognize that it is a miracle of God the Father and a miracle of Jesus and that they will put their faith in the Father and also in the Messiah that he has sent into the world, Jesus. And so that's the big thing that is, is going on here, the bigger thing than, Jesus, than Lazarus' physical resurrection. And when he had said these things, uh, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he uh, did so with great th authority. Again, it should always be noted in the teaching of this passage and, and to notice that he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. If he had merely said, come forth, they would have come out of every tomb uh, that was there in the graveyard. But this was a, a specific uh, a miracle that was being accomplished. And he who had died came uh, out bound hand and foot with grave cloths and, uh, and his face was wrapped with a cloth and Jesus said to them, loose him and let him uh, go. And so he comes out uh, all wrapped up and uh, the Jews, they would wrap a body with strips of cloth all the way from the neck, all the way down to the feet. And then they would put a cloth over, over the face in the, in the grave, uh, in the tomb. And so Lazarus comes out of the tomb here at this point, looking a little bit like uh, the mummy. And, and Jesus said now, having raised him uh, uh, to new life, loose him now and let him go. And then the response as a result uh, of this uh, miracle, then many of the Jews who had uh, come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, uh, they believed in him. Tremendous miracle. And, and they look at this, they witness it, and they immediately put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. She so had a group of people who were still very sympathetic to the corrupted, existing 
uh, Jewish religious systems, including the Pharisees, still very, very invested in those religious systems. They recognized the threat that Jesus was in, in uh, accomplishing this miracle to that religious system. So they made a beeline to the Pharisees uh, to let them know what Jesus had done, done here and the threat that it rep represented to the religious status quo. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered a council, and this was their response upon hearing this news. And they said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? So they admit the validity of Jesus' signs. Jesus lets Lazarus lay in the tomb for four days. Why? I don't think anybody of us can know dogmatically why or all of the reasons why. But he certainly, Bethany being a stone's throw from Jerusalem, it was an opportunity for any member of the religious establishment to come to the tomb of Lazarus and raise him from the dead. If they had that kind of authority from God, that kind of favor from God, none of them could do it. And they recognized here the signs that uh, the legitimacy of the signs that Jesus was working, they asked the question, what shall we do? Well, maybe I could advance a suggestion. Put your faith in him and humble yourself before him as someone who is infinitely greater than you, able to do what you could never do, has a favor of God the Father in his life that you could never dream of. But they're not thinking spiritual. They're thinking money and they're thinking uh, power. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. That's what frightened them. And the Romans will come and take away our place and nation. And then one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, he said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us uh, that one man should die for the people and, and not that the whole nation should perish. And this he said not in his own authority, uh, uh, in his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that, that nation only or the Jewish people, but also that he would gather together in one, the children of God who were scattered abroad, uh, Gentiles as well. And then from that day on, they plotted to put uh, Jesus to death. And so Caiaphas, the statement that he made as the high priest in verse 49 is the idea of uh, given uh, Jesus's potential to uh, destabilize the, the nation. It's our responsibility and for the best of the nation to the whole nation to kill him. And he meant it one way. He meant it in the sense of, of, of physical sense. John recognized, though, it's, it's spiritual accuracy, not only concerning the Jews, but for the entire world, that it would be through his death upon the cross that mankind uh, could escape uh, perishing. And now having the, the authorization of the high priest, the Sanhedrin began to plot Jesus' death uh, in earnest. He has to go. And therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near uh, the wilderness. He, he cleared out of the region of, 
of, uh, of Jerusalem to a city called uh, Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And so he goes out into the area of the ministry area of formerly of, of John the Baptist, and we're told that the Passover of the Jews was near, and uh, Jesus, it is this Passover that Jesus is going to be crucified in fulfillment of. So John's gospel moves very, very quickly to the cross from this point going forward. The Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from, uh, from the countryside up into Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover for themselves, to purify themselves. And then they sought uh, Jesus, and they spoke among themselves as he stood in the temple. Uh, what, uh, as they stood in the temple, what do you think uh, that he will not come to the feast? So the entire feast is dominated by a conversation of, do you think Jesus is going to come? By the common people, the great interest in Jesus, but uh, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where Jesus was, that he should report it and that they might uh, seize him. And so uh, with this is the final of uh, the closing of the seven miracles of, of Jesus in, uh, in this gospel. Jesus had the Jewish religious leaders come to him one day and say, would you give us a sign, a sign that you are Messiah, you are um, the Son of God, you are divine. And Jesus said, it's, a, it's an a, a, a evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. They had signs all over the place confirming this from one end, end of the land uh, to the other. Miracles, miracles, miracles. Whole, whole villages entirely uh, healed and delivered of, of demons. And, uh, but they were asking for one more sign to really prove that you are uh, the Messiah. And he said, no sign will be given to such an evil and adulterous generation except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights only in the heart of the earth, speaking of his resurrection. And in that, Jesus was communicating to every one of us in this room, but every person in the world, do not trust in any religious leader, don't trust in any god, any philosopher, any person that wants to take this position of moral and spiritual authority in your life, much less to give them that authority if they cannot, number one, tell us how death entered into the uh, human condition. And then number two, has provided us with an open undeniable evidence of his authority over that great enemy of mankind called death. And Jesus is the only Savior uh, that is able to do uh, both of those things. And what a great thing it is to be uh, freed as we think about uh, Jesus as he, uh, his victory over death, he reduces death to a butler uh, in our lives, merely a servant to usher us from uh, this flesh and blood uh, and bone, if the, if the Lord should tarry, into a body that's made uh, for, uh, for eternity. And, uh, and, and he's given us that victory. That will happen at that, that moment of, that the world calls death for us. It's just moving from one place to another. But even more significant, or not more significant, but 
very significant in this vein is Jesus talks about uh, the day, and uh, nothing is going to happen to us in the day. And the great reassurance that is a part of our lives as Christians is that the day will not end. Our lives will not end until God determines that they are to end. And they will only end when His purposes and His plan and the work that He's called us to do in this world is completed. And then when that work is completed, sayonara, saying, au revoir, or whatever language you want to talk about. Uh, when that ministry is over, it's time to get out of here and into the glory uh, of heaven. But that reassurance, there is that victory that is ours and that victory that will be demonstrated in our translation uh, one day into eternal glory, but then the confidence of, uh, of how safe we are in the Father's will and in, uh, as we continue to live our life uh, for His purposes between now uh, and then. I'd like the worship team to come forward and maybe lead us in a couple of worship songs and just to allow us to close this evening, spend some time uh, giving Him thanks for uh, who He is and what He means to us and what these truths mean to us uh, in our lives as, uh, as well.